0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, everyone, to episode four. I believe this is number four. Are we number four, Patrick? We are. We're, 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 we're
1: almost at double digits. Not really, but we're getting closer. Eight.
0: You know what? Some days I would never thought we would get to two. Yeah. So four, it's monumental. It's monumental. Four is double two, if my math is correct. So I think we're doing okay. Um, yes, I'm Aaron, and this is Patrick. He's here again, as always, and we are back. Um, last week, we kind of went off our normal... Uh, plan and we did a little quick pick episode for you where we both recommended uh, a film that was near and dear to us and uh, it was actually both of them were streaming on netflix so hope you got a chance to check out the waking ned divine and short term 12 episode if you did not uh it's not going anywhere so it's there it's about 35 minutes it's spoiler free and it's just uh us talking about why we think that those movies deserve to be watched so free to go check that one out. Um, speaking of what we've been watching, we wanted to ensure that we were, you know, letting you guys get to know us a little better. Um, and we want to do something by talking about what we've been watching lately, what we've been watching, what we've been into entertainment wise and different types of media. Uh, Patrick, do you want to kick that off? I'd love to, man. I think the biggest thing for me this past week and, uh,
1: Aaron, you've been experiencing this with me. We've been going through the Battlestar Galactica Reimagined series from sci-fi back in the early aughts. Oh, yes, we have. <laughs> and I got to tell you, we've, we've, we're about midway through season two. And I don't want to get into too much detail, but we what we try to do is watch at least two episodes a week. and to not try to look ahead to what episodes come up, we, we try to time it to where we see two parters, like, you know, cliffhanger episodes together. That way we don't get the suspense of having to wait a week, even though, um, people in real time had to do that. I don't they, know.
0: I don't know how they did it. I, I really I, don't.
1: I think there's less population now because people oh my gosh. Probably, probably died from the, having to wait. So this show would have killed week. me. So we watched in particular, we watched an episode, I guess it was about, Two weeks ago, uh, it was the second of the of the two that we watched, and we found out that not only was it a cliffhanger, but it was a three episode cliffhanger. So we had to wait an entire week to watch two episodes that resolved this particular thing. And I think there were a lot of OMGs that went back and forth between our text messages. Would you Would you agree?
0: Oh, there were tons of OMGs and
1: dudes. <laughs> it it has gotten insane but we are just we are loving it i we mean are. i i'm loving it aaron i know you're loving it and uh and and we we usually do exactly what we do here where we just we talk about it the next day through uh through our our chat messaging services and whatnot it's a lot of fun it's been really
0: good it's it been- has and and it's for those of you who've already seen the series which yes we know we're behind the ball in this one um but we are getting caught up slowly. So no spoilers. Don't tweet us your spoilers or anything like that. We will kill you. Yeah. Um, send. Our, we'll send Cylons after you. That's what we'll do. But uh, for those of you who've watched the show, it's the Pegasus arc that we are talking about in season yes. two. Yeah, um, cool. should ring a bell. And and man, gosh, took took a couple years off my life watching that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I've also been uh, introduced to a television show on Netflix and Netflix original from a coworker of mine. Is it Marvel? Well, it's not, no? no, no, it's not. Actually, this is something that, um, it's interesting when you get to know people in your office, they tend to, I love how people tend to recommend things to me because it tells me like that they start to know a little bit about me, about my humor, about my sense of, I guess, what do you call it? television style, whatever genre style. And so somebody, uh, my, my friend, uh, my coworker, Courtney, she said, Hey, have you seen the show, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen that. What's, what's that? She said, well, it's a Tina Fey joint, you know, it's a, it's a Tina Fey project. And I said, well, I'm intrigued because I like a lot of stuff that Tina Fey does. And, uh, if, if any of you guys have watched it, you know, it, it stars the main, the main character is, uh, is the, the woman who played the second second receptionist from the, the American version of the office and she's just as quirky and bubbly. And um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I got to say, it's a great 22 minutes of my life that gives me just a healthy dose of laughter. I usually w- watch it when I'm on the treadmill at the gym, and people look at me like I'm Looney Tunes because I'm laughing while I'm trying to <laughs> get a couple of miles great. in. So I look a little insane, uh, but but I don't care. So it's it's good. And the other thing that I'm that I'm just finishing up is a is a book series. It's a it's a dystology, which means um, it's basically a dystopian fiction, but it's not a trilogy. It's actually a four book series by a guy named Neil Shusterman, and uh, it's known as the Unwind dystology. And it's um, it's been an incredible, incredible read. I got a chance to read the very first one called Unwind, and then had to wait like four or five years for the sequel to come out. The book itself, the first book is actually a great standalone. Like it could it could function as its own, you know, whatever. It leaves a little cliffhanger, but it feels complete.
0: I've read the first book and I, I can absolutely okay. see that. Yeah. I never got past it, but I did read the first one and loved it.
1: So when I when I picked up the second one, I was a little hesitant. I was like, well how can you top this? And each subsequent book of the series has just impressed me. Not only with his exploration of valuing life and what it means to be alive versus not, and sort of his inspiration coming from uh, from the pro-life, pro-choice debates that have gone on for in, in the recent in recent years, his take on a world where this is sort of the aftermath of of these two worlds and what 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 the world has actually done to. To deal with all that is, is incredible. It would take too long to go into the details of it, but I highly recommend at least checking it out. Go on Goodreads and check out the synopsis of the first one.
0: It's, it's a war. I think you can I think you can go. I think you could. It's okay yeah. to say. So, I mean, it's so a war really, that happens because of the abortion fight, right? The pro-life, right, pro-choice. So,
1: so, so the book, the, the actual series starts after this thing called the Heartland War. What's happened is the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers had this big giant war, and they came to this resolution where the there was a treaty that was signed that basically said you know what we're going to outlaw abortion but what we're going to do is because technology's gotten to a place that it has in this world kids are not allowed to be touched basically until the age of 13 but from the age of 13 to 18 for certain reasons they are allowed the guardians or parents or whoever's in charge of them are allowed to be um, what the book calls unwound which means like basically retroactively aborted in other words they are, they go to these things called harvest camps and it's through those things that they are basically taken apart piece by piece and he describes this process one time in the entire book series and it still gives me chills
0: haunts me i uh, i will agree with that so
1: but if you get a chance to check For it sure. out it's, it's it's really worth um worth checking out read all four in a row because it's there's a lot going on this fourth book it's taken me a while to get through just because there's a lot of new characters and a lot of stuff that's kept trying to get resolved but it's really good man it's really really good
0: sweet man i may have to like check that back out and uh try to catch up on it and finish up the series then yeah so
1: and that's uh that's about it for me man I, I've, that's what's been keeping me busy that's a lot that's good, that's good. so what about you man
0: um, well I am other than the Battlestar thing which you've already um mentioned that we do on a weekly basis. Um I do watch a lot of movies. If you follow me on Twitter, um you are well aware of that. Uh it's pretty much what I do with most of my free time these days. Um and my even when I when my kids are over, the kids love to watch stuff as well. So um couple couple movies I wanna talk about that are out. Um real quick I got the chance to revisit a couple of old Western favorites recently tombstone just got to say maybe the most quotable movie ever it's up there with my favorite movie ever uh princess bride as being the most quotable but between those two i I literally know every every word of those two movies
1: i second that i second that that comment
0: completely it's so good man it's so good there's been some threads on the on recently on some uh podcast uh, community groups that i'm in uh, discussion groups chat groups uh where people just just were going comment after comment on on a thread of the tombstone quotes and I just I could just read them all day long um, and then Patrick here bought me uh, young guns for my birthday that was last week so that was awesome I hadn't seen it in so many years and I gotta say it was still very good um, a little little underwhelming compared to what I remember it as a kid I kind of felt like it was this time it, it felt more like it was top gun in the wild wild west um, but that's <laughs> not that bad right that's not i'm not trying to criticize it um it's it was very entertaining still um it took me back to some of my childhood and i just i just loved getting to revisit that one
1: the soundtrack is really it, good too
0: it, you know do the 80s music soundtrack is fantastic it's young guns 20- 2 though young guns 2 is a john bon jovi soundtrack he did it solo and it is phenomenal it was like <laughs> the soundtrack of my life for one summer um, blaze of glory, man. Oh, oh, so good. Um, the other, th- the other things I've watched, I just want to talk about, um, are all theater movies. These are not ones that we're going to be covering on the podcast, at least not in the near future. You know, maybe we, we do a year from now or something they get, they get brought up, but these are ones we've skipped over for whatever reason as, as podcasting. And so I want to ma- mention them. Uh, one is the jungle book. I went to see the jungle book with my kids, uh, for my birthday present, one of my birthday presents, um that was a great time we really enjoyed it um I gotta say this new version is visually stunning Uh, I love almost all of the voice acting Um, the the character that plays Mowgli the actor that plays Mowgli is the only actual live action uh, actor in the entire film so he makes he does this whole movie like with green screen and puppets and I just it's it's mind-blowing I mean he's not perfect I I can nitpick it and I I did a little bit, but he, it's amazing that he can do that at such a young age. Just it's, it's fantastic.
1: John Favreau, he's the one that directs this. He Mm -hmm. has become one of my favorite directors between Iron Man and this and his small stint of like rounders or not rounders. I'm sorry, swingers. And then
0: chef, 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 chef. go see chef. Everybody go see chef. It's fantastic. It's on Netflix.
1: He's such a he's just I've, I've gotten so impressed with his ability to do such a wide range of films. He's great. He is. And, and
0: he he is definitely showing that he has some serious chops. And he's one that I would put on a short list of directors that I'm I'm excited to watch in the future. And I know I know you've always loved it. Actually, you you kind of turned me on to him more so than anyone because I hadn't seen swingers or chef before you recommended them but yeah i i think this is the definitive version of the jungle book on film i know there's another one coming out in a year or so with andy circus at the helm as, as a directorial debut um, pretty excited about that got to see what he can do but it's going to be tough this is this is a good one well and i think
1: what's going to help circus just as a side note is the his adaptation is going to be has been pushed a year so there will be oh, two, there'll be a two-year gap instead of a year gap so less of a chance of comparison even though i know there probably will be some comparison it'll be less this time or
0: you know with with his stuff being two years later completely agree and that's i think that's a great decision to give give some give some gap between the two let people forget about it somewhat before they get it back again um another one i saw recently that i really enjoyed was risen uh risen is I, i don't know how to describe this so it's a Christian film. I, I mean, kind of. I, I don't want to turn anybody off of seeing it because by saying it's a Christian film, it's not preachy. Um it that's one of the things that's fantastic about it is it's not a Christian movie that preaches at you. So there's been a lot of recent um biblical storytellings um by bigger budget film type um directors. Uh, this there was there was Noah done by Darren Aronofsky. Um, then there was gosh gods of egypt i think is what it was called
1: yeah and then mark burnett has done a, his del- his television series the bible on i think the history channel has been a has yes. been a recent phenomenon
0: yep there's been a lot it's been a lot lot out there coming back to like retelling of biblical stories in big cinematic way and usually they don't do so hot and i don't just mean like budget or monetarily or critic with critics but they just they're usually not that great like they're not a great product um, so I was a little bit nervous about this one. This is done by Kevin Reynolds, I believe his name is, and he was the director of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves back in the day. I didn't know that. Wow. But he also directed Waterworld, so Yeah. Uh. So so mm, I don't know, man. I, I was kinda that was, <laughs> that was that was the one that worried me. So anyway, what this film is is it's a retelling of the greatest story ever told. Um, the story of Christ, and it picks us up with christ's death he's he's already either dead or well into dying on the cross and then what it does is it follows the story of what what might have happened um in those three or four days um from the perspective of a roman centurion and that's something that we've never really gotten to see we usually see these stories told from the disciples point of view or you know christians people followers of jesus but to see it from a skeptic's point of view um it was just it was really well done the acting was fantastic uh, by joseph fines or i don't know how do you pronounce his last name i think it's fines um and the way that they integrated little bible verses and bible stories into just normal dialogue flow was really great um i really enjoyed it it was very dramatic um it didn't like i said it didn't feel preachy at all it's not very action heavy um so don't go into a thing and you're going to get a bunch of sword battles or anything like that. Um, but it's definitely one that I want to revisit with the family. It's a great family movie, maybe on Easter.
1: Yeah. I think, um, it's also one of the few biblical stories about surrounding Jesus that takes place in those few days. It does it take place between, well, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was thinking something else, but it's one of the few stories that takes place after his, after his death, just shortly after his death. Like most stories are before his death or they, they tell the story of his death and eventual resurrection.
0: You're absolutely right. They do normally like passion of the Christ and stuff They don't, they normally are leading up to his death. And then it's kind of like a fast forward affair Mm -hmm. to his disappearance from a tomb and resurrection again um, in front of his disciples. This one really focuses in on that whole, he got buried and disappeared and now he's getting to the point of resurrection. It's, it's filling in those gaps.
1: So it's those, it's that three day period.
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep, Really, really cool. Very, very cool. good, very good. So highly recommend that. Um, regardless of your faith, I think you can enjoy it as a good dramatic movie. Um, I think people would like that one. Lastly, I know I'm going a little bit long here, guys. Um, hopefully you don't mind and you're enjoying these recommendations. I want you to go see all of these films. I know you can't, but maybe you'll find one that you know tickles your fancy, and you'll go see that one. If you can handle some horror, if you can handle some blood – and some practical effects that are incredibly well done, um, some broken bones, things like that. I'm not a huge horror fan of slasher horror flicks, but if you can handle a little bit of it, there's a movie out right now. It's an in, it's a it's a I don't know if it's it's not really independent, but it's it's called Green Room. It's by a guy named a director named Jeremy Saulnier, and he is previously the director of a movie that he self-made called Blue Ruin. From a couple years ago, it was in my top fifteen that year. Unbelievable film. This is his follow-up, and this is his passion project. Um, it stars Patrick Stewart. I don't know. There's a great story about how he got to Patrick Stewart on board in the cast. I would love to tell it right now. I'm not going to. I am going to point you to another podcast uh, by a guy that I absolutely love and admire. His name is Jeff Goldsmith, and his podcast is just called the Q and A with Jeff Goldsmith. Um, check it out he always has interviews with directors uh, and writers and he talks to them about the storytelling process and the just how the how their movies got made and it's very insightful and this specific one is just really really great I mean you got to go see the movie first because you're gonna get spoiled but I highly recommend this podcast for some extra insight into it so it's got Patrick Stewart in it Um, it's also got Anton Yelich I believe his name is He's in the new Star Trek reboots.
1: Oh. Yeah. There's a Ru- Star Trek what's connection the, what's there.
0: His Russian, what's the Russian guy in Star Trek? Oh, I don't know. Colossus? No, wait. That's a different that's, franchise. That's, Mar- so. that's, that's an X-Man. <laughs> Sorry. I oh, our credibility me. just went out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, he's in the new Star Trek reboots, um, so forgive us for not immediately remembering which character he is. <laughs> um, he, can't, he can't speak very good English in that film. He does okay. great here. It's anyway. nice to
1: see a Star Trek connection between him and Patrick Stewart.
0: That's really right. great. Oh, right. oh, my gosh, you're right. Look at you're that. Very meta. Score points, yeah. points for me. Um, so what Green Room is is it's about a punk band that gets stuck in a club and witnesses something they're not supposed to see. Uh, and this club is a club full of neo-Nazis who Patrick Stewart is the leader of. And that's all I'm going to tell you. I- I'm going to tell you it is a visceral experience. It is heavy it is a i i'm either biting my nails off or i'm gripping the sides of my chair um i'm on the edge of my seat i'm holding my breath it's that kind of experience there are moments of levity though where the entire theater it, it would be it's great to see this one in a theater because the, the, there's so much tension that you can feel from your neighbors everybody's going through this together and then there'll be just this one moment of humor and it's not even humor it's not even really funny <laughs> it's almost like sad funny, but you just you kind of laugh and then you everybody looks at each other and almost feels bad for laughing. And it's it's just a fantastic <laughs> experience with other people. And as a film, it's very unique. Sonier's or Saunier's, um storytelling methods are a lot of practical effects and very little exposition. He lets he doesn't treat you like you're a child. He lets you see what the characters are doing and understand what the story is from there. They don't ever break character to stop and talk to the screen and tell you what's happening. Every scene of dialogue is the character talking to another character. It's, it's a really, really unique thing he does. And he is like number one or two on my must watch directors list at this point. It's up there with like Jeff Nichols and Dan, Dan Trachtenberg for me. Um, This one is probably going to easily be in my top 10 of the year. Fantastic little horror thriller film. I um, highly, highly, highly recommend you go see it, support it, because the only way these things keep getting made is if we put money into them, so that's my rant, I'm done, go see Green Room, um, <laughs> and yeah, that's all I got for you this week, but I, I've been seeing a lot of stuff, but those are, the, those are the high points.
1: Wow, good stuff, man. Well, let's dive in. Uh, so, as you've probably seen from clicking on the episode, you know that we're going to take a second chance, or take a second look at the movie Pan, and this is the first time we're actually going to we're actually doing something like this where we're 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 looking at a movie that has gotten we sort of did it with Batman v Superman it was sort of a hybrid of second chance although we were both seeing it for the first time as well as our our real reaction but pans an interesting thing because it starts this process of really diving in and and looking at a movie from an artistic standpoint not just from an entertainment standpoint and can we find Some redemption in this. And what I loved about this experience was that um, my initial expectations going in weren't really changed by the time I finished the film, but I pulled out quite a bit of what I thought was really good thematics. And what it allowed me to do personally was to look at the movie and, and see a lot of really cool stuff that was going on if looked at it in a certain way. The critics, you know, they, they, they see it as kind of boring as there's not a lot of excitement. Um, I think Aaron, you, you kind of ping some people on the, on, 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 the web and said, Hey, what did you guys think when you saw it? And, and most of it was pretty negative. Most of it was the characters are flat. The story is derivative, all the, all the things that, I mean, there, there's some definite there's some definite truth to some of that.
0: Yeah, I'll be honest on that. that the feedback I got actually is a great indicator of why a great – it feeds into the reason that we are doing this podcast. Um, I did get some good feedback. Um, uh, a guy named Gabriel that's in one of the groups I'm in, um, initially he gave me the same response that I'm about to mention, but then he did give me some more meat as to why he didn't like it. But I got a few responses back, and they just said, from beginning to end, it was awful. And it was terrible. There's nothing redeeming about this movie. It's bad. It's it's awful. It was a miserable watch. And there's very little specific reasons. No no one would get—very few people could give me any kind of specific reasons or would talk about why they didn't like the film. And I think that that's a pervasive way of thinking right now um, across the board— you know, in film criticism and in movie reviews, where we just kind of didn't like it, and it's bad, <laughs> and that's what we're trying to change right is why was it bad, and let's talk about why you didn't like it, and then maybe what we could have what we could have liked about it that wasn't those things right. um,
1: yeah. and this podcast is in no way trying to get you to go see it. This is really just an experiment that we're doing to say, look, we think that that movies are a extension of art, and an artist is doing something with purpose. Even guys like Michael Bay, who I do not like, whose style I do not like, the challenge for me will, would be to go into a movie like Transformers or Bad Boys or whatever and and try to find, okay, I don't like this guy's style, but can I find some redemption in there? And I believe I can because, you know, whether we like it or not, directors and writers, they're in this to tell stories. And um, and I, what what I what I like about this opportunity that we have as podcasters is to explore that. And, and pan's a great jumping on point to really explore this. I, I, I had a lot, um, I had a lot of high hopes initially when I saw that it was coming out. And then when I got the initial feedback from critics and other people that had seen it, it got my hopes kind of diminished a little bit. Um, and so I I think I, I told you, Aaron, that, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but it was better than I expected it to be, and I think that kind of that that kind of sums up how I went into it and how I came out of it, and uh, and I, I thought that there were some some of the some of the really there some really great things happening in it that we'll get into, but you know initially some of the stuff that that I found kind of a bit uh, wonky. I, I didn't like the the. Choice of modern music,
0: yeah. And you know, as we're going to get into it, we just want to reiterate real quick that we are spoiling the movie. This is a spoiler podcast. So, ah. before we start talking, um, I hate to break there, but I just we want we yeah. don't want you, we do, we, we, we are telling you, we're not telling you to go see this specific movie. But if you have seen it, um, if you're gonna see it, go see it now and then come <laughs> back and listen to the podcast. Um, we do think that it's redeeming and we do we don't think that it's it's a movie that no one should see we think that it has a lot of value specifically for kids so although our in-depth talk about that is going to happen after this break um you know the kids my kids loved it um they're 13 and 11 um so i think that it is highly recommended for kids to be honest with you and um despite the you know low critics scores and things like that um and such so Just wanted to put the spoiler warning out there and then set the stage real quick, just for anybody that, you know, may not know what the story is. Pan is a prequel to Peter Pan. It is a new story that has not been told in a book before. Um, It has been created by Joe Wright, the director. I don't know if he wrote it all himself um, or whatnot. I know he was involved, but it's the story of what happened before when Peter Pan was dropped off at the orphanage before he became Peter Pan or how he came to be Peter Pan in a lot of ways. So there's no Captain Hook with an actual hook um, and things like that in this film. It's, it's a prequel. So just setting that stage. Um, all right. So spoilers, spoilers are off and now let's, let's get into it. you were saying something about the music. Go well, back yeah. At and I apologize for
1: jumping the gun. I was really just ready to dive in. Um, yeah. So there were, there were, there were points in the movie that really kind of personally got, they took me out of the of, of the movie and there's the point early on when we get to neverland where there's the use of two modern well modern for us not necessarily modern uh, in terms of like in the 2000s or whatever but there were two songs that were used one by nirvana and one by i think the ramones that is used in a similar way to I don't know if you guys remember the opening, one of the opening scenes of a night's tale with the late Heath, Heath Ledger where they use, we will rock you in medieval times. It's kind of yeah. like that. And what that does is when I saw a Knight's tale, I, I kind of got that same feeling like, am I in a comedy? But what's, what's happening here? Is this sort of kind of poking fun, but it didn't. And I was like, okay, well what's, what's going on here? So I was, I was taken aback a little bit by that. Um, and I, I think that when, when it came to seeing that, it it took me a little bit to get back into the flow of the movie itself. Um I Garrett Headland, I like him as an actor. Um well, let me let me get your thoughts on that. What do you think,
0: Aaron? Yeah, I just wanted to say on the music thing real quick. I I agree. And when I watched it, that was one of the few things that I specifically really, really didn't like. Um it did take me out of it. But Gabriel Uh, the person I was saying earlier who was good enough to give us some some thoughts he specifically said he loved that and so it made me rethink some things and I kind of understood it a little differently now Um, you know this is a Neverland that this is this is not this is a fantasy world and and initially I was like, well, how could they know Nirvana and Ramones, right? Like that's not, that doesn't exist yet. It's, this is set in the whatever era, way, way before us now, modern times. But this is Neverland. And in a way, it kind of worked because I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to take something that is familiar to us, but that would not have been familiar to them, right? Hmm. So it was, it was something that we could kind of relate to, but for them it's just a crazy chant. Like they're not singing it. It's a chant. They are chanting when these things sure. are being done. It's like it's it's very um, loud and raw. Mm-hmm. So I, kinda, I kind of I kind of appreciated it a little more when I took a second look at it and yeah. I still don't love it, but I don't hate it.
1: Well, and and I think when you made a good point about if if the whole the main idea around this movie's creation is to be geared towards kids, your your kids don't necessarily know Nirvana and the Ramones,
0: so exactly exactly it's,
1: yes it's, it's it's not something that's going to throw them out. Now as an adult, yes, it threw me off, and I was a little taken aback by the fact I, I was going okay if I can believe that it was created and it's geared to children. Then you know the over analyst in me is going okay. Well, what does this song have to do with what's going on? And then I just said, you know what, Patrick, be quiet because it's the chant. It's it's the essence of what's happening here it's very that that rawness that you talked about that really amplifies the moments that it's it's really personifying
0: yeah i think that's a great point that you just made and we really need to i think that's going to frame our whole discussion today about the movie Mm -hmm. um for anybody listening and for what we're trying to say um in that we're trying to find and pull out of pan as being redeemable qualities those of you who watch the film and didn't like it because you're an adult and it didn't meet the expectations you had going into it, as you talked about earlier, that's, there's nothing you can do about that. Like there's, that's kind of how I had my first reaction too. I mean, it's just natural. But when I watched it the second time and I watched it from my kid's perspective, things changed. Uh And I realized that this is a movie that was made for kids uh-huh. And it, it the, maybe the marketing failed on that end in a lot of ways, but this is really more of a kid 's movie i mean it 's fantastical it 's colorful as we 're going to talk about you know like as you, as you go through it, you can see, and for a child watching this without bringing all these expectations into it it 's a totally different experience so that 's right. that 's kind of what we 're looking to frame this around is that this movie is much better when you watch it with that lens uh-huh.
1: and another thing that that I think we we found in this was the fact that when we think about this movie being fantastic being almost to a point of absurd that when you think about it from a place like that there's almost no limits to the kind of visuals and the kind of you know weirdness that you can go to for the sake of enhancing that that fantastic absurdity um I, i was thinking a lot about hook uh the steven spielberg telling of of a a Peter Pan story, not necessarily the origin of Peter Pan. And what we get is a real-world scenario with Robin Williams, who we find out is Peter Pan, sorry, spoiler alert, going back into Neverland, which is a world of fantasy. We get the original Peter and Wendy that was made into a play and eventually into a musical that takes place all in the scope of Neverland. And so we have pure fantasy, reality, living with, uh, reality living separately from fantasy. And I think what pan does is that it, one, it's telling a whole new story, which I think the marketing kind of got wrong because people kind of expected something different or they expected, so- well, not, they expected something familiar and they got something different. So I think that kind of threw a lot of audience people, a lot of people watching the movie off. But the other thing is that from the very beginning of the movie, we're basically told fantasy is living among reality i mean when we start in the orphanage scene within 10 minutes we have these obnoxious nuns with these crazy big the hats the hats
0: oh my gosh those hats the design of those hats were crazy i agree i'm glad you brought that up because that stuck out to me
1: exactly and they're so mean and they're so just personified it's just just like oh you want to hate
0: them they have a secret cellar where they steal all of the good food and the candy, like I couldn't even believe. I was like, "Why do these nuns have a secret cellar?" But you're right; they're setting right. the tone, of and then, everything is kind of a fantasy.
1: And then we have the scene where the kids are basically—it's like the invasion of the body snatchers, like Peter Pan edition.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they get there by doing what? They raise a bat signal essentially. The nuns yeah. like raise a flag, yeah, to tell uh, the Jolly Roger to come. A yeah, it's flag. Like, yeah, it's like it's there's a pirate signal essentially. It's, so a bat, it's bat signal.
1: It's, it's great. So so all of this is sort of just just like nonchalant like this actually this this is just reality so the fantasy is reality it's not two different places i mean it's like the nuns that live in quote our world completely know that there are pirates that live somewhere else on flying ships so (laughs) so by having that by selling that early on even among the the narration at the beginning we're being told you're about to experience something that is completely frivolous, or not frivolous, but completely weird and crazy and almost just nonsensical. So from a kid, you're like, bring it on. And it got me thinking about my my child, who one of the things I love about him is his ability to tell stories with simple objects. Like he has a toy train, like a wooden train, that he makes stories out of, as opposed to having like a video... Now, he likes video games and things like that, but where he really where I see his imagination just thrive is when he has simple things that he has no pre uh, like no, no, no origin story, no, no um, foundation story to begin with that he builds off of. Like he just tells his own story. And I think Pan is doing this. First of all, I don't know that any other, there's never been a Pan story that's been written or told or been narrated in a way that is telling the story which I think is a bold move to no, tell the unique. story. No, it's unique.
0: It's very yeah. unique. And there's there's a lot of things in there that, that I think adults didn't like because it didn't do what we expected. Again, it's, you know, I'm one of them. I went in and I wanted to know how he got his hook hand. I mean, I think everybody wanted to know that, right? I'm sure yeah. you did too. But we
1: know how he got
0: it. The well, original
1: story, of that's what I'm saying. We you do, think. but
0: we wanted to see it. We wanted to see the transition from, whatever this young hook character is who is more american cowboy than anything in this but like he we wanted to see him get his hand eaten by a crocodile and then end up with a hook like that's 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 what our our vision of this prequel was in our heads going into it and we didn't get that we got some great setup for that and I'm very sad. That's that's one thing that that I'm, I'm actually very disappointed in because I felt like this where this movie left off. Man, I want to see the next one. I want to see the one that goes between this one and the Peter Pan. I know, really badly. And now I'm not going to get it because it's not getting the, the reception that you know I I wish it could have. Right.
1: Yeah. It 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 definitely has the sense of there's more story that's that's ready to be told, and it did sadden me because of the the feedback, and because of the traction that it lost, uh, if it ever had any, even with my man Hugh Jackman at the helm, um, that we're not going to get to see the aftermath of that. However, we did get to see a lot of exposition, and exposition done really well, and we got to see a lot of the, the world of fantasy without bounds being told in a way that... Wasn't necessarily different, but in a way, it it really did fit into this this fantastic absurd environment that was that was that was being visually set up, and the story was was really echoing that. Um, let me see what else did I have. There's a line that Garrett Hedlund's character Hook says when when Pan gets to the when Peter he's not called Pan at this point, but when Peter. Gets to gets to the minds when he gets he starts figuring out you know what's going on. He's asking all these questions and Garrett Hedlund, I like the guy a lot. I loved him in Tron, he was great. And um, there's I forget the other movie that he was in, but it was a cowboy movie. But he's got this really distinct like deep m- like baritone voice. Well, that
0: would make sense then because he was a cowboy in this one too.
1: Yeah, so he's got that swashbuckling style. I I, I felt like he was channeling his inner Indiana Jones at times and. He seemed to kind of chew and swallow his scenes a little bit, uh, with the way he talked, because and he just he did seem a little bit more personified than I liked. But he said something when Peter gets to mining the uh, what was it called? What's the what's the pixum? I love pick-some. it. I
0: love the it. concept of pixum. That was so cool. Yeah, so cool.
1: So he's mining. there. He's, he's in this mine uh, mining this pixum, and he's, he asks Hoki says. You know, what is all this? What is all that? This this just isn't this isn't real. This can't be real. And he goes, he goes, you just got here on a flying pirate ship. Real should be a very fluid concept, you know. And I thought yeah. that yeah. sums up the movie. Yeah, that that is what that's the mentality we need to have as an audience going into this. Okay, real is a fluid concept. All bets are off. Let's see what goes on. And from there, I started having some fun.
0: I, can... I started having. I completely concur. I mean, Peter thinks he's in Canada. Yeah, he says he's. Is this Canada? <laughs> and I like. I was laughing out loud at that point. I was, was like, yeah. oh, okay, like uh-huh. I'm starting to understand what my mindset needs to be to enjoy this. And yeah, yeah, man, that that is such a perfect line to, yeah, to really explain that. I love that you brought that up. And there's and the movie is full of that. Honestly, there's, you know. There are a lot. There's a lot of great dialogue in this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not over exposition. There's simple explanations. Very close to that scene you were talking about when he, he's with Hook in the mines. um He he's asking what the pixum is. You know, yeah. Harry's like, "What?" Or not Harry? Why am I saying Harry? This is not Harry Potter. Is that twice? I think I did that on another podcast. Man, I have <laughs> Harry Potter on the brain. oh my gosh it's okay it's okay i have no idea why i'm doing that but peter (laughs) pan different character everything in the world is not harry potter um (laughs) peter is asking him about the pixum, and hook simply says he says they kill for it we die for it simple as that that's it there's very little explanation and and, you know we go we go on to find that yes the pixum is fairy dust yeah. But we don't we don't know why it's in the mines. We never get told that, and we don't have to. We know what Blackbeard uses it for, so yeah. we know it has a value of some kind, right. a very important value that he's discovered. But we have no earthly idea what else it does until later, you know, when we see Peter using with the fairies. Mm-hmm. But we don't. We just don't get everything written out for us perfectly, or, or you know, vocalized. And I, and I really like that. I like the short. Lines that explain things versus big long speeches.
1: Right. And speaking of lines, there were several subtle jokes that, that I kept pulling out and going, that's funny. Okay, that's funny. Some of them were visual jokes. Um, one of the, just a couple of examples. I love the fact that when, when Peter's trying to, when, when the pirate ship pulls him up, and I think it's Nibs. Is it Nibs that he pulls? Who's Nibs? Nibs? Nibs is the, the, the kid that, that he's trying to. His park. friend? Yeah, at the orphanage. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know he had a name. Yeah, <laughs> so, and he's And he's from the original Pan story. So, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. little little nugget there for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and, but, so he's on the pirate ship, and he's trying to, he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he, 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 there's a a part of the pirate ship that he's standing on is on fire, and he's trying to blow it out, <laughs> like this giant fire. He's trying to blow it out. That was great. Uh, the It Is This Canada is a great line. And I... There's always going to there's a place in my heart for Hugh Jackman and I'm going to go ahead and just say it on record I have a man crush on the guy. I think he's just fantastic in almost everything he does. And uh seeing him as the he's always going to be the Wolverine to me but then seeing him in things like Les Mis, Jean and even Jean. Yes.
0: Oh, don't get me started. It's uh, my it's, favorite. He's just just a great
1: great actor and he makes a line as he's introducing himself to the new recruits in Neverland. He goes my rules are so simple, you can write them on a pig's ear, which I have. And he holds up this pig's ear with the two rules on it. I thought that's just so, so <laughs> just...
0: So dumb. And I, but and it's I, so I, funny.
1: It, it, it is dumb. And, and I'm thinking, Hugh Jackman loved saying that line. I'll bet he just loved saying that because it was so stupid and so funny at the same time.
0: I fully believe he enjoyed it. His performance was one of the, the takeaways that was the best thing out of this thing. He, I really liked Peter's performance, too. I don't want to go into any detail much about him. Um, I thought they both had such fantastic facial expressions. Um, Peter, Peter was really good with that. Um, but, but man, Hugh Jackman was just awesome. He's awesome in, in this absurd, crazy way. And it looked like, you said, like he's having fun. Like he okay. just had a blast. And it makes, me, it makes me think about how that pig's ear joke <laughs> and, and many, many of the jokes in this entire film, many of the things that happened, um, you you could say to yourself, man, a child could have thought of that. Like that's a kid's thought, right? And this is this goes into what you you were saying about your you know your son's imagination is that's okay. It's it's different, interesting. It's not yeah. different bad, you know. It's it you yeah a child could think of it, and and it's really all about having a childlike faith. You know, mm-hmm. Peter Peter goes on this entire journey, and he he does this whole his whole his whole time in Neverland everything that he's going towards is to find out who he is and all of that it's he never stops believing in his mother who Mm. he's never met he's never met her and he believed in her before he found her letter Mm -hmm. and then he believes in her after the letter and and with and he gets lied to along the way many times and and about who she is and what the truth is and he never stops believing he has a childlike Mm -hmm. faith and that it just more reinforcement of how that lens of watching this as a kid, it, it really brings out the best in it.
1: Well, yeah, and, and you bring up a good point about him and the way he sort of grounds himself as the movie goes on. Because he finds out that he's possibly more than likely the chosen one. And yeah, he doesn't want he does. he to take on that responsibility.
0: His mother's name and, is Mary, by the way. Just got to throw that out there. He's the chosen one and his mother's name is Mary. Well, as long as it's not Martha, because you know, we've already tried that with. Batman. Well, then he could be friends with
1: Batman, Superman. True, that would be a nice little crowd of people to be friends with, right?
0: <laughs> yes, they can all. Fly. Oh no, they can't all fly. I think we just
1: made Batman, Superman, and biblical jokes all in one. So, do we get points for that? I think that's like a
0: serious, yeah, yeah,
1: fantastic. So. But there's a there's a there's a great line, and I can't remember who says it, and I I think it's Tiger Lily, or maybe it's a vision of his mom. But they say, it's enough just to be who you are. It wasn't about him being the chosen one, about fulfilling some great promise. And he battles that. And I think at one point, he fulfills that by saying, look, I don't know if I'm the chosen one. I don't really care. But this is who I am. And I'm not going to be any different. He embraces that line. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a cliche idea. But from a childlike perspective, if, if, if my kid's watching that, I mean, that's, that's an elevated thought for him. That's an elevated thought for kids to listen to. But you know what? There's some real value in hearing that, that it's enough just to be who you are. Don't deny who you are because you're not a mistake. And for some reason I started thinking about, oh, I don't want to go into this. I started thinking about Creed and there, there's a moment during the, uh, during the final battle sequence, battle sequence, the final fight between Creed and the guy he's fighting. And there's a line that's similar to that about being about dealing with adoption and, I don't want to be a mistake. And it's, it's a critical moment in that movie. And I'm sorry if I spoiled it. So I apologize. You're I not. Apologize.
0: You're not okay. spo- that, I don't think that spoils it. I, I know what you're talking about, and but it, right. but it,
1: but it sums up a lot of what the movie is dealing with. So in the same way with Pan, Peter is coming into, coming to grips with who he is, not that he's the chosen one, but that he is confident in who he is, that even though his mom dropped him off at an orphanage, an orphan feels like they're abandoned, like they are a mistake. And by coming full circle, seeing that moment with his mom battling Blackbeard, which I thought was just a fantastic scene, in the underwater sequence with the mermaids. The, the oh, mermaid. man. That was,
0: one of the, that, that was a special effects scene. that I, There's a couple. But that was one of the ones that I, I, did, I did point yeah. out. It, is, it, it was phenomenal. The CGI and the, the, the effects there were just so well done and so cool. So, yeah. so neat and just mind-blowing from a visual perspective.
1: And that said a lot to him. Seeing that that seeing that allowed him to see not only who his mom was, but who he could be—not just someone that could fight Blackbeard, but someone who wasn't a mistake and someone who in, inherited those kinds of strengths. And and I thought that was it was really touching to know that he really embraced that. Um, so I thought that's a that was a great theme that was that was played out his growth as 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 Peter into Pam, but also into his own as a, as, as a person. I thought that was really good.
0: Oh, I do too. It's, it's a great coming of age story for Peter mm-hmm. and it's told in such a, a unique way for Hollywood these days. And, you know, it's funny, we, we kind of joked and brought up Batman v Superman, which is one of the darker films that we will have seen in several years. And we really loved it and we enjoyed it for that because it felt like it worked for that story. And this one it doesn't it doesn't need to be dark. And yeah. and it really doesn't get dark, you know. Um it's it's really a lighter story that is 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 fantastical and you know the deaths you don't see people die. You don't see heads getting lopped off, things like that. The use of color is fantastic in this film. Oh, it is yeah. amazing when they when they shoot uh and ki- well, assuming what they are doing is killing these villagers, the natives, you know, they, they explode into this Color dust into the air, right? This explosion of color. You don't see a body fall. You don't see you know bullet hole in a head. You just see a boom and a bunch of color, smoke or whatever, go up. And it's just such a neat way to visualize that and continue that, you know, showing how absurd it is in this world and how different and crazy it is, Um, and then keep that tone light along the way
1: what did you think about tiger lily
0: okay i love tiger lily um and then i know i <laughs> so there there's a lot of a lot of critical backlash about tiger lily and i'm gonna i'm gonna tread lightly here because i d- haven't done a lot of research on this um but you know i believe in the original peter pan story the 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 natives um are widely believed to be something akin to uh, you know a native american in america um that's never explicitly said in the book uh, it's never laid out like that i don't think um but but a lot of people wanted tiger lily's character not to be a white actress um i you know that being that aside um so i understand if that is a hindrance to some people and i respect that because i can't put myself in that position you and i are both white guys um so we can't really comment on what it would feel like to not be represented um, accurately in our mind for a story. What I will say is that she knocked it out of the park playing the character. Mm -hmm. Um, So what she gave us was a very strong, but grounded tiger Lily. She cared about Peter. She cared about her, her family and her tribe very deeply and she was an awesome warrior princess my daughter thought she was just freaking awesome like she (laughs) she loved it so much seeing tiger lily out there kicking butt and leading the way and she really does i mean she's (laughs) like you think captain hook you know he's your character like that you see you're supposed to see growing in this film and he's got like this american cowboy persona that we've talked about he's not a fighter like he's really he doesn't he's not in the battles you know he's not there he's not the one doing all this stuff it's tiger Lily, and uh it's oh yeah i really liked her um she has a lot of great insight as well um she's not afraid to admit her mistakes you know when she lies to peter she tells him straight up she's like yeah well she gets caught i guess she doesn't tell him that she's lying off the bat but she does admit it you know, and, and say, I'm sorry. Kind of, she's like, I, I get it. I, I just thought that this is, this is what was going to be helpful uh, for you. And so I love it. I love her a lot. What did you think?
1: You know, I, I thought the same thing. She is, she was strong in this and she came across as being unapologetic about who she was. Um, I think where one of the criticisms is that the characters are very flat I don't know that these characters had a lot of time to round themselves out. I think that there, there is some, there is some merit in saying that they were very sort of stereotypical personified versions of, of the characters they portrayed. And I, again, I'm going to go back and say, you can forgive that because you have to sort of go a little over the top with them in order to get them into the place of the bigger story that you're telling. I mean, this isn't a character study. This is a, this is an adventure tale. So we're not doing a character study on Blackbeard or on, on Hook or on Tiger Lily, so we already get the bombastic, strong feminine character that is Tiger Lily. And we always we already get the the so to speak the swashbuckling but non-fighting character in Hook, and then the the overzealous character of Blackbeard. So from that standpoint, I loved seeing her, and in, in especially in the moments with Peter, and having empathy for him but also seeing how much she fought for her people. And I thought that, that she was just a lot of fun. She, the, her costume was great. Oh, I love, so I, I love I loved the colorfulness of that costume. And again, I, I don't think I've ever, I, I, I think because it's so out, out of, you know, just, just out there that I can forgive that she's not native American because we weren't going for something realistic or even necessarily based on a book character, you know, and, I always make the joke about why are all these, these adventures with people like Peter and Harry, why are they always, you know, British? Why can't we get some American people in here? But cause that's my American bias or whatever. But the fact is these stories were written by British people. And this is, this is the world that, that envelops these authors and stuff, you know, Bari and these other British authors. I mean, this is the world they know. So um, I think when, when it comes to, you know, character types and stuff like that. I can forgive it. I, it wasn't really a, a deal breaker for me by any means because this wasn't a character study. This was an adventure tale, and um, you know, you had an Australian playing Blackbeard the pirate, so. <laughs> and uh, but I thought it was great. My favorite character, though, was Smee. Really? He, yeah. <laughs> of and, all the things, of yeah, all the characters, because he his comedic timing was probably my favorite. He didn't have very many of them, but when he came onto the scene, the way I didn't even remember the actor's name, but I know he was in a, I know he was in Borat and some of those movies, but he, he just had this presence of being very, very quirky and very hokey. He reminded me of the Smee from hook in that same, like, okay. um, He, he, he has a relationship with James hook and you see where that origin comes from in this story where he is Hook's right hand man. He's his partner, uh, trying to get him out of danger as much as he can. But even the way he looked, with his glasses and kind of the 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 Coke bottle eyeball type thing, I thought he just he was just really he was just really nutty. He was kind of like a like not really a nutty professor, but he was just really just quirky to me, and
0: I liked that. A lot. Oh, he was very quirky, and I and I would love to find out. That's another thing that I'm I'm sad about. It's because I I wanted to know how we get back to him being with. Hook, uh-huh. you know, because he's Hook's right hand man, and he, he was with Hook, kind of. It's, first, he starts off working for Blackbeard, and then he helps Hook escape, and he's with Hook, and then he kind of goes back to Blackbeard, and then we don't really see what happens to him in between uh-huh. um and where he's at by the end of it. Actually, I mean, he's not there at the end of the movie when they're flying off. Um, God, I would have loved to see what happened with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's sad that we won't get to see that, but. Um as as I've done research I've, I've I've begun to see that other stories have been written and you know they may not make it onto the movie screen but they're definitely out there for exploration. This
0: is I believe this is a uh, Peter Pan is now in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so it's out there. Um there's tons of material on this and anybody and, and everybody can make up their own their own story and that's part of what I think is it needs to be understood when you're watching this. This is not you know this is just one person's take on it or one one group of people's take on it, and it's it's okay for it to be different than you would have. They're not ruining a franchise or messing with what you know has to be a certain way i think I think this is a great universe to play in the way that they chose to do because it's built around the idea of everything being bonkers <laughs> i mean it is it's 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 built around that and so it's the perfect playground for things like the memory tree one of my favorite scenes is is the memory tree special effects as it like is telling the story of the past battles and how ne- what has happened in neverland and it's like this animated wood carvings it's it's it's, it's reminiscent and similar to or sim- similar to the water memory scene that the mermaids have right um and it's just so cool the special effects in that memory tree scene and how they do things to to show it show it and it's and it's it's also a point i wanted to make was you know watching it the second time um my mind the first time being very critical and it was it was it was, a, it was a, several months ago was before we decided to do this podcast and we really decided to start looking at movies more positively um and I, I i was that guy i was the every viewer who just saw something he didn't like and it kind of tweaked him and then he it, it stayed in my head and ruined a lot of the experience for me that mermaid scene back when i first saw this i really didn't like that scene because i thought it was dumb and i was like what come on the water is infused with mermaid memories get over yourself like that is a <laughs> just a ridiculous idea to me i thought that was so dumb and this time it's like, whatever. Okay, so it's infused with memories. It's really cool. And then, boom, I got to enjoy the visualization of that idea instead of dwelling on the fact that I thought it was kind of a silly idea in the first place. I just went with it, and I got to enjoy in the to watching it, you know? And there's so much other great, colorful, and just brilliant design in this. Man, the crocodiles, I, I never expected it. It blew me away. Yeah blew yeah. me away right like we know we want to see a crocodile there's a little bit of fan service they know that you want to see that crocodile right guess what that thing is like <laughs> the size of an aircraft carrier almost <laughs> it's gigantic <laughs> like i don't know how it just eats his hand i yeah. feel like i feel like like you know like what his hand is as big as like a single tooth on that crocodile so i have no idea how he gets he hook is lucky yeah to not have been a midnight snack for this thing yeah um but yeah i just man i love I love the the visual style of all of it and and the action it's constantly moving the it's a very fast-paced story it doesn't like you said no exposition it doesn't really stop to to talk to you you know it's those quick little one-liners that tell you what you need to know and move you through the adventure story that's getting from point A to point B right. and um I felt tons of joy and laughter throughout this you know my emotions were definitely on that side I I never really felt any sadness never really felt any pain Um, I was just smiling and laughing or kind of shaking my head at how silly it was that's all and I got to give them credit for that yeah
1: I you mentioned the fan service and I I pointed I, I picked up on two or three that I thought were kind of fun when I when I watched this it makes me think of the show Animaniacs and how what Steven Spielberg does is he drops in like little adult jokes into this this thirty minute cartoon. And I think in some ways the director did this as well. I love the the moment where I think it's when the line about, you know, you're you no, know, it it's it's after I think Peter is his axe is real dull or something like that. And so Hook sharpens it or James sharpens it. What does he sharpen it with? A hook. He's got a hook handy, you know. And then there were a couple of lines near the end where you know, and I, I, the the crocodile being being one of those moments, and uh, the of course the final the final moments when Peter's like, "We'll be friends forever, won't we, James?" He goes, "Yeah, nothing could tear us apart." And you, you know.
0: Oh, I mean, God, it's such a now that is a little bit of heartbreak. I, I guess that's I guess that's true. I, but I never got sad, right? No, because no, and, I didn't get to see it. <laughs> I'd probably be sad <laughs> in the next one.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know. At the very beginning, I think one of my favorite lines from the narrator at the very beginning is, you know, this is a story. This is a different story where um, friends start out as enemies and enemies start out as friends. And it shows when she says uh, friends start out as enemies, there's the crocodile. And then where enemies start out as friends, there's a pic. There's like a silhouette of a
0: a starry, like a a constellation
1: of a hook. And I thought that's just I'd like that opening sequence quite a bit.
0: Oh, man. Absolutely. I agree i didn't you know what i didn't even pick up on that the specific constellations that's that's brilliant and that's so yeah. very subtle yeah it's
1: very cool well speaking of speaking of sequences did you have anything that stood out to you as like some scenes that were really good to you i,
0: I did you want to jump into our uh, three scenes each yeah, let's let's get in there let's get into it all right cool well i will i will kick us off then and start us up um so my first scene is actually i'm going to cheat right off the bat it's technically two scenes, but it's the same thing. Ooh, same. Cheater cheater. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know I'm awful, but it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's the orphans being kidnapped at the pirates, at the beginning. And then it's the uh, orphans being rescued by Peter at the end. Um, so it's kind of like the very, very first glimpse we have of who's going to be the lost boys. Um, and just the visualization and the way that they drop in from the ceiling on these like repelling lines. And just snatch them up. And it's very, it reminds me kind of of later in the film, they have the trampoline fight. Yeah. Bouncing all over there. And that's kind of the same pull up from when the pirates get them. They're kind of like, they bounce, they kind of like loop. They just fly up on that line into the pirate ship. And it's so cool. Yeah. And it's so quiet too. It's It's so quiet. And then to watch it happen again at the end, it's like the movie's coming full circle. It's bringing you all the way back to where we started and only it's the same thing that was negative now happening and positive mm-hmm. and everybody gets time there's that waiting where they get to get set up they get to get their line this time yeah and yeah. they're ready for it then they're, they're expecting it and then there's peter and he starts levitating and they're like wait a minute peter like you're not you don't have a a rope and you know and i forget how oh, i forgot what his line was he has a line there Oh yeah, I forget what um, it was. But then, you know, just root there they go, and up they and it's it's like that realization in those boys' eyes is so great to me. Yeah. Um and it it's just it's a great great balance but for those two scenes um that do can, the same thing but yes. have two totally different tones to them.
1: Yeah, the book ended nature of the two different tones, I thought spot on, man. That's great. That's a great observation. Um to tag off of what you thought about about your scene the beginning when they're being taken i loved the sequence of the pirate ship being attacked by the the world war ii fighter jets or whatever it was um that whole sequence of them escaping the real world and going to neverland and in particular the again i'm going to go back to music because i love musicals i love soundtracks and scores and stuff and there were three distinct sets of music for three distinct moments of this escape. There was the real world when they were, when they were being elevated up and there's music there. And then when they hit the atmosphere and go into, I'm going to put this in air quotes space, it's a different set of music. And then you see Peter being sort of tethered by a rope and you see a, it looks like almost a planet in front of, in, in the foreground and he actually grabs it like it's some kind of toy.
0: Yeah. It changes the perspective very, yeah, which, yeah. It's,
1: which again just reinforces that absurdity, and then the and then the ship takes off like horizontally and lands in neverland, and there's a completely new set of music, so we have three distinct tones for three distinct moments in this escape, and then to see it land in water only to find out that the water's not really water it's a big giant bubble in the air <laughs> it's just like it just gets so bonkers at that point. It does but the music around that really helped sort of sell the one place, second place, third place. And, and I thought that was just so great to me. That was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in for the long haul. This is, this is crazy weird, but let's, let's see where it goes.
0: Yeah, that so, is, that's great, man. I, I didn't know, um, yeah, I don't know if I even really paid too much attention to the music myself. Um, but it makes me having you said, say that makes me want to go back and listen to that music. And I, I, I know I'm jumping off, topic just a quite quick second but like that's that's another point that i can make to why the film is different if you watch it with a different perspective um we keep we got to go back to that because when we went into space there on the pirate ship my initial reaction the first time i saw this movie was why can he breathe i got critical (laughs) and it took me out of enjoying it the second time i watched it man i was laughing i had a big grin on my face the whole time because I didn't care. I realized it was absurd. And at that point, I realized, oh, he's going to grab that planet. And the perspective's going to change. And then he's going to bounce into that Neverland bubble and all this stuff. And, and all of that stuff I knew was coming. And I just – I let myself enjoy it so much more because I wasn't worried about the fact that he couldn't breathe in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because you, you specifically said space in air quotes. That that triggered that in my mind. Right. That's awesome. Um, my, yeah. number, my number two um, – and this is my daughter's favorite thing about the whole film. So – Gotta put that out there, and I told her I would. I would say that um, the multiple failed flirting attempts <laughs> by uh, James Hook. <laughs> yes. This is not James Bond. This is James Hook, and he is yeah. not very good at flirting. And every so- every time he tries to say something sweet to Tiger Lily. He's very genuine. Like, it's funny because, like, I see it and I I hear it and I'm like, man, he's actually, you know, he's trying hard. He's just not very good at it. And he's being very genuine, but it fails miserably. And it just, it's like, it it never works. And every time she slaps him, (laughs) (laughs) it repeatedly, like, at least three times, he tries to flirt and he gets hit. And it's like she wants no part of it that's not it's it's perfect cuz it's it's kind of making fun of romance in movies that right, doesn't yeah. need to be there and mm-hmm. it, it, it keeps you in that line of this is an adventure film and we're going from point a to point b and there's no time for this bam let's move yeah. on and uh, it also speaks to you know, the strength of her character and in the end there's a little bit of romance you know there's a little bit so, of understanding between those two characters and you get that but it's all set up by that comedic failed flirting that happens throughout the whole movie Right.
1: There's a great moment. It reminds me of a great moment when um, she and her cohorts are being um, they're being, I guess, uh, accosted by by Blackbeard and something like he gives up the 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 secret. Like he knows where the the fairyland is or whatever. And he goes and she gets mad at him, you know, for for revealing that secret. And he goes, he goes, I didn't want to watch you die. And she, goes, and she goes, you should have closed
0: your eyes. <laughs> you should have closed your eyes, right? It's so matter of fact, and it's so yeah. true. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it just speaks to the fact, she reminds me of Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games, when there's a there's a moment in, I think, the second book where she says, I don't have time to think about kissing when I've got a rebellion to inside." It's that same kind of attitude. Yes. It's so, so good. It is. I love that. And I, I just, you know, again, it tells me I wish we had more of her character develop and stuff like that, because... Uh, it's sad that we didn't get to see that, so yeah, I'm with you um I love the uh you brought- you brought it up earlier. I love the the fight sequence between the pirates and the the Indians and particularly the the colorful explosions. I thought that whole choreographed scene was really great it it really amplified the fantastic attitude behind the movie and it it took out some of the some of the terror that a kid might see you know when you see colorful explosions but you see people kind of sword fighting and stuff you know there's something going on but you don't see blood splattering everywhere this isn't like a you know this isn't a tarantino's version of peter pan or whatever and i'm glad this is very much a
0: i would like to see that
1: i bet you would man i bet you
0: (laughs) (laughs) i would i would gladly watch a tarantino's version of peter pan pan from
1: tarantino coming soon (laughs) anyway but i thought that was a great um, a, a just a great set of, of choreography a great scene um, and in particular just very rhythmic very you know the swords and stuff like that and just different things it didn't feel cluttered didn't feel crowded it felt like a very i love rhythmic sequences of fighting i think those are those are my favorites because i don't feel confused watching them and i didn't feel confused i felt very into it that's so great
0: it yeah cool well my number one um was they're part of The sequence of the pirate ship escaping at the beginning of the film. That whole sequence is amazing. So from start to finish, it's just fantastic. But specifically the small part where the pirate ship swoops down, dips into the water for the first time ever, and it's a ship, so it's really cool to me to see it in the water. Um and then it like it goes under the bridge and then it comes over and it boom and then it goes straight up and it does the whole shoot straight up in the sky and then it hovers. Yes, and then it just starts shooting to space, like straight vertical mm-hmm. and all of the, the airplanes that are, the, the fighter planes that are coming after it mm-hmm. are like pulling, going straight up in the sky and they just they can't, they can't make it, right and you just know they're not going to be able to chase it all the way up there and it's like you just see them like start to peel off and like just fall, off, fall back because they can't keep up yeah. that whole visual sequence of just the, the, the escape of the pirate ship dropping into the water like that as a ship would do um, making a big splash and then coming out of the water up into the air and then straight up into the space, uh, that was amazing to me. And I could rewatch that over and over and over and over and over.
1: It's it's a great one. It really, really is. I thought just the visuals of that were 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 spot on. Um, and and speaking of visuals, I you know I think we both said this the the mermaid sequence, getting the exposition of his mom. Two things about that that really. Hit me first of all the effects of that were cool i thought using water and and getting into that were really kind of a neat thing but we I, I love i love the creativity of backstory i love when storytellers use not necessarily normal devices to tell about history and this is sort of a tie with the with the tree sequence the the tree trunk sequence of, of seeing of getting that kind of exposition. So I think those two are sort of tied for for my top one because of the fact that the way in which we get more information visually like and particularly with the mermaid sequence, we don't get narration over that one. We got narration over the tree sequence, but not over this. We get we get dialogue between Blackbeard and Mary as 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 he's fighting her and she's fighting him. Um and so we get to sort of not really interpret, but we get to sort kind of we get to really kind of glean what's happened here. And then, of course, if we didn't pick it up, then Peter kind of responds to that and say, so my mother was actually a warrior and she really did this. And, and Tar-Glou was like, yes, she was. And you're the chosen one. And he's like, I don't want to be. And, and, you know, we get into that, but I really love that sequence because it, it was a great way to, uh, to tell her story and to do it in almost a subtle way than just saying, this is what happened to your mother. So I thought we were kind of living that with Peter as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely we were, man, and that that's a great one. I, I love that as well, and um, it probably would have been my number four combination of those those two sequences as well. So that's it on Pan. Um, you, uh, you got any final thoughts? Well, after I watched this,
1: I went to my nerd mode and checked out um, – I, I noticed on the IMD page that, that J.M. Barr was a writer on that, and I was like, wait, isn't he dead? that's weird that he's considered a writer, but then I thought, wait, he created Peter Pan. So duh, but it led me to a Wikipedia page listing all the works that incorporate Peter Pan. And guys, there are a ton. I mean, absolutely just a ton of works. And there's a particular trilogy that I want to check out. I think it's a trilogy, but it's co-written by um, Dave Barry, who is a humorist that whose books I've loved of his. He's just really a funny guy. And another guy, I don't, I don't remember his name, but they co-author these three stories and their origin stories. And, um, I checked to see if maybe this story was pulled from that and it wasn't, but it makes me just want to read more of the source material and, and dive into other authors and how they've interpreted Peter Pan. I think there's another book that's sort of written from a dark standpoint where peter pan basically coerces his lost boys into doing his bidding so he's like a darker character
0: there's my tarantino version right there
1: there it is right there so let's call up QT and say hey look read this book and make it and and make it happen right um but yeah it, it really inspired me to want to check out some other books as well as peter and wendy which is the original story that that we that we know and love that the play and the musical eventually came from so how about you
0: um you know like I said, I really am just sad that I don't get to see more about Hook and how he becomes the villain, Captain Hook. Um, I'd like to see more of him. I'd like to see more of Tiger. i just like to see more of this story continued on with these characters, these actors. I thought they were all very very good um, overall. And so I would have liked to seen this continue on. I would have watched it. Um, but I'm a little bit bummed about that. Yeah. I also would just say to kind of illustrate... last time what we've said over and over about watching this from a child's perspective or watching this differently from a trying to take the positive out of it if you go on letterbox i did not take it down you can still read my initial review of this film and i basically say that there is nothing good about it at all that it is awful and it should never have been made and I say, I wish that a giant crocodile would eat every copy of this movie and wipe it off the face, wipe it from existence. That—that That is the line that I used in my review.
1: That's horrible. I, I was
0: pretty harsh on <laughs> Pan. Um, I actually remember arguing with my kids about it. We, we've talked about it several times before the podcast ever came to be a thing, how they liked it and I didn't, and why I didn't. And so... It's, it's a real treat for me to be able to have this discussion with you and dive back into it and look at why it's a good movie yeah. and to rewatch it with them again, both times I watched it with them. And this time I really got to enjoy it with them. We got to laugh together and smile together more because I was engaged with that experience. Um, and I just think that however hard it is for us as movie viewers to check our expectations at the door, we have to attempt it. We don't. We're not always going to succeed. Um, we're going to talk about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, talk about civil war a minute here in a second, and you know it's coming, and we're going to go into that with expectations as comic book fans and comic book movie fans, but we have to kind of temper them some, mm-hmm. so that we can ex- enjoy it to the maximum possibility. Right on. And uh, and I think that if you go into almost every movie you watch looking for the positive. Um, you see something or something kind of doesn't sit well with you, you just, you know, close it in your hand and throw it out and just move on to the next scene and don't dwell on it. I think you'll have a better time enjoying the movie. And Pan is a fantastic, uh, example of that working to fruition for me.
1: Yeah. Great, man. Great thoughts. Great thoughts. Well, I think that about does it for us. Um, anything else you want to add? I guess our, our normal, uh, yeah, where you can find us and all that stuff?
0: Yep, yeah, uh you can find me at Aaron L White. That's A A R O N E L W H I T E on Twitter. Um you can find my Facebook using that name. You can find me on PlayStation using that name. You can find me everywhere pretty much using that name. Um <laughs> you can find the show at Feeling Film F E E L I N F I L M um at Twitter, also a Facebook page for that um as well and our website is com. so check us out in all those places we'd love to interact with you on twitter or on facebook one thing that makes our day is anytime someone tells us they've listened to the podcast and gives us feedback it it, it can be positive or negative you could not like the show that's fine if you still want to listen to it and tell us what you thought it just helps us get better that's what we want to do we want to make this worth your time and worth your effort, and help you enjoy movies a little bit differently, and in a better way, that's our goal, so.
1: Absolutely, and if you get tired of talking to Aaron, and you want to head over to my my world, I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H, you can find that same handle in the Twitterverse, on Facebook, I'm also on the Gram I think that's how the kids call it is it no the kids don't call it that I don't no?
0: I don't think the kids call it that okay well this kid calls it the Graham I, and... I hope that no one calls it the Graham
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway you can find me on Instagram and the, the basic the, the big three Facebook Twitter and Instagram at shoeless patch and uh, I'd love to love to hear your feedback and what you guys thought about the, the show and, and just your thoughts about movies in general it's gonna be I love love getting into that discussion.
0: It's great, man. And I, I'm also on Letterboxd. I forgot to plug that one. Uh, Letterbox is like the site for movie lovers. If you're not on there, get on there. Uh, short reviews. It's a great place. There's a bud, budding community there. Um, I love everybody I've gotten to interact with. It is a fantastic place to make up some movie lists, some top top 20 lists, top 10 lists, favorite directors, ranked, all kinds of stuff you can find. So check out Letterboxd if you haven't already. It's a great site.
1: Yeah. And uh, just to let you know what's coming up in the next couple of weeks, um, next week we're going to be doing another quick picture review of a couple of films that, uh, that, that we like. And so you'll be able to look forward to that. And then in two weeks, we're jumping on the bandwagon and we're going to be checking out our real reaction to Captain America Civil War. Bring on the Marvel superheroes
0: yeah buddy we're excited for that one and we are intentionally putting that off we're not doing it next week because we want to give you guys more time to go see it since we Mm -hmm. are a spoiler podcast um, we want you to be able to join in the conversation and so we're gonna we're gonna skip doing it opening weekend um, and do some other civil war related films so uh, hopefully that'll pique your interest and you'll come check out and see what we pick Uh, and then that week after we will dive into civil war and all its Most likely gloriousness.
1: I'm excited about it. Me
0: too. Last up, if you got time and you like the show, go to iTunes, rate us, write a few words. Those are very helpful. That's what helps move us up in the rankings. um, It helps spread the word about what the show is about, helps get us seen and get more people into the conversation. You can also rate and review us in whatever format, whatever the platform is that you are listening to us. Um, We really appreciate that. It, it helps us out immensely and we love to read your feedback. Absolutely. Sweet. Well with that being said, I guess we are going to get out of here.
1: All right, and we'll yeah. talk to you guys next week and hopefully you'll
0: hear a lot from us in between. All right, man, here's some fairy dust. Let's fly fly away. <laughs>